Welcome to The Real Work, a podcast about opening access to career success and workplace belonging for everyone. Presented to you by the team at Lantern Rouge. Through these community conversations, we want to learn and share how careers actually work and how we show up for each other in all manners of professions, unpacking the experiences that shape us and how we can each play a role in designing our future of work. Here is your host, Alex Lamb, an organizational psychologist and the chief executive of Lantern Rouge. My guest today is Natalie Arnold, who has extensive experience in the sports management industry. And when I say extensive, get ready for this. She has worked on the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games, the England 2015 Rugby World Cup, the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games, the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games, the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympic and Paralympic Games, and the Melbourne 2006 Commonwealth Games. Phew. She has held senior spectator services roles and has been responsible for over 3,500 volunteers and 90 staff. She holds a master's degree in business and sports management and also happens to mentor a talented young adult with autism. Together, they created Top Guest Studio with Joe, a YouTube channel and podcast. She launched the charity Fly Into July in 2019 while also becoming a mum for the first time. Fly Into July aspires to reach thousands of participants throughout their annual July Step Challenge. In this conversation, we dig into the instincts she had to get into the events management industry early as a teenager. We also talk about the lifestyle and decisions of working on global high-profile projects, the experience of taking on university studies later in her career, how she's made career decisions with her family front of mind, and her new career chapter in the charity world. She's a determined person who has set out to achieve great things. The logic she's brought to her career is something we can all learn from across sectors. So please enjoy the podcast. Great. So welcome, Natalie. It's so uh, wonderful to have you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So our last guest was a lady called Georgina Usher. She's actually the CEO of British Fencing. Um, You've got a lot of commonalities in, in, you know, in touch with her in terms of the different events that you've kind of circulated (laughs) through. So you may even know each other through similar contacts. But she had some advice that she wanted me to pass on. Um, Her experience of the podcast was really positive. And so she had this as a gift for you just as a starting point. So Her comments were, for this conversation, enjoy it, suspend how you might be perceived, just put it to the back of your mind. Every view you have today has value and meaning, so dig deep on the topics that matter to you. That was her advice. That's really lovely. Yeah. So I'll take that on board. (laughs) As much as you you can. So I'd love to dig into your career because you've had such a rich experience um, of the professional work and the the travel that you've, you know, been able to, to take advantage of. So, you know, you're someone who decided straight out of high school that you wanted to get right into work. It was a really burgeoning area that you saw in events management. So tell us what was it the instincts that led you straight into the work experience as opposed to, you know, perhaps taking other routes? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I consider myself one of the really lucky ones because I I was very fortunate that I, I felt very clear in my mind the direction that I wanted to take as soon as I finished school. And I know that I'm lucky in that case because I've got two younger sisters and they may not have had that same um, gut instinct or, or that direction straight away. 
And I think for me, it's probably because of them, I had that direction. So as a uh, older sister, there's a 10 and 12 year gap between my younger siblings. And Mm -hmm. so for that reason, often my school holidays at high school were spent doing quite primary or smaller baby activities with my family. And it was through that, that I came upon uh, an event over a school holidays. And I saw this sign saying, you know, Events Australia, um, you know, these are the types of events they were doing. It was the showgrounds, it was the winter wonderlands and other things. And I remember reading this, this sign thinking, oh, that sounds like so much fun. And I remember resenting going to this event. I did not want to go with my family, but it actually made me think more about the logistics when I was there in terms of Mm. how the event was operating. And I think I was only maybe 15 years old at the time. And I went and spoke to who was either a volunteer or one of the event operators and said, how can I get work experience, you know, next year? Um, This sounds great. I, I really like going to events. And this particular person that I just happened to speak to was the operations manager. And they said, you know what, why wait till next year? Why don't you come um, back tomorrow and and come and do work experience with us? And I was thrilled. So I went back and I found my family and said, oh, I've got got a job. job (laughs) (laughs) And at this point it was in the city and I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. And as a 15-year-old, you don't think about these things, but it meant mum and dad had to take me every day for the rest of the school holidays uh, to this venue. And they had a job too, by default. Now I understand. (laughs) But it basically helped me get that practical experience. And I think my mum and dad really um, admired that sort of instinct that I had just to ask because I was thinking about it for the following year. And Mm. so the next day I went back and I was cleaning bathrooms. I was helping scrape down the ice rink, you know, had all my OH and S courses in the morning. And got real practical experience. I remember thinking at the end of day one, thinking, oh, events are not as fun as you think. (laughs) That was groundwork. But I also had a ball. And so after finishing that first week, they actually asked me to come back as a paid employee for the second week of the holidays. And at that point, I was working in the ticketing um, booth, selling tickets and doing a few other things. I think I even um, met the camera crews in the morning that were doing interviews on the ice skating rinks. And I was dressed up as a mascot one day. It was really all <laughs> avenues. And so yeah, following like they that put you around the whole circus, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I think following <laughs> that experience, I thought, wow, there's a lot more to events and maybe that's the direction I want to take. So I kept in touch with this company and over every school holidays, I worked on whatever event they were working on. And so before 16, I was already starting to get a really good feel of what that industry looked like. Wow. And so it's so interesting to me that you as a young teenager, you were able to go to a public event and actually see it through the eyes of an employment proposition as opposed to just whatever the topic of the event was you know, that you were actually thinking, okay, I've got some gravitational pull towards this as an occupation rather than just the the entertainment that it posed. So I don't know, had there been anything, do you remember anything before that that had planted that seed for you or was it really in that moment that you had the first realisation? I loved organising things. And so, again, it probably was with my younger siblings as well, you know, in terms of their birthday parties or the events that um, were within our family. 
I was always wanting to put my hand up to volunteer to lead that. So I was quite organized. I loved writing notes. I loved planning activities or their birthday parties. So I think there was a natural flair where I wanted to organize. And my parents informed me that I loved public speaking and, and really enjoyed yeah. presenting. So I think um, I sort of at that time had a few of the characteristics that would lead into an event career. But also at that time, having an event career or that area or realm of study was still very new for us in Australia. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of courses out there, but it wasn't necessarily a sought after degree at that time. So that also, um, I guess, gave me food for thought in terms of the direction that I wanted to take. I did pursue doing other volunteer experience um, up until I finished high school and I took the role of um, school captain at school which also involved you know leading a a student council and organizing the events throughout the year and our formals and that type of thing so I think by the time I finished school I was very clear as to what I did want to pursue. Mm. It's so impressive because so many people at that age and stage in life just don't have that clarity and so a lot of people see university as a holding pen of sorts while people work it out (laughs) while they feel their way through and decide what the direction is but you'd done this almost by the sound of it a character study and scanned the landscape to say where does my interest lie and so you already had that sense of the direction by the time you you popped out of high school so so tell us about that decision to to go straight into work you said the coursework that you saw on the on the academic landscape wasn't really as mature as what you you know would ideally want and so was that part of the decision to go straight into work or were there other factors there you know what it, it really was and it wasn't something that I took lightly um as a, a year 12 student and you speak to your careers division and, and try to understand that direction and I think also culturally I'm half Chinese so um, still even within our, our culture as well, you know, university is success. As for me and the pathway that I was taking, uh, at the time, university wasn't the right move for me. And I had mm-hmm. got advice from those in the industry because I was now working in the industry and some roles were voluntary, some were paid, but I seeked advice. And my mentors at the time said, you know what, go and get practical ex- um you know, experience because you're already 17 and you were working in our industry. And they said, you know, they weren't necessarily doing that at that age, or they certainly weren't. And they didn't study events and hospitality and sports. There wasn't also the right curriculum available at the time. So their advice was go and get more experience, go and get um, roles that are paid full time. And then if I wanted to continue studying in the future, then do that at a later point. But from from their expertise at the time, they really guided me to get that practical experience for the direction I was taking. Now, at the time, it still was a hard decision for me, and particularly because I'd worked so hard um, on my studies and everyone wants that that enter school. Um, There was a TAFE course available, so practical education. And actually, it was very highly recommended uh, from the industry. So that was a much shorter course and it was TAFE and TAFE didn't necessarily have a, a really strong um, academic reputation at the time. It's proved over the years for sure. But I thought, you know what, well, I'll go and do that. I can do that while I'm working and I still get a dual diploma. It's just, just not a degree. 
But it sat well with me. My family were very supportive and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take that direction. And I was luckily, I, I finished with um, Ducks. So I actually graduated with the Ducks Award, which probably stood higher than what a, a uni degree at the time would have done for me anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And very Amazing. fortunately, I had um, taken advantage over that curriculum for a couple of scholarship opportunities and I got more practical experience so that when I finished that dual diploma, I had a full-time role in New Zealand in events straight away. Fantastic. And I think that's such um, it's such a great thing for people to hear that there's alternate pathways and that there's many ways to get towards your end destination or your goal. <laughs> Not that you know where your end destination is, but you knew that this was the industry and the space that you wanted to be in. And so you're willing to take on advice um, and uh, let it evolve with, you know, as you got that experience as well. So it sounds like you were really fortunate to have those mentors in your life. Yeah, Can you talk I, I about really how you identified them? Yeah. And I, and I think um, I was also really fortunate that they supported and, and believed in, in me uh, as well. They used to say, Natalie, one day you'll be um, our boss. And, and they yeah. used to joke about that. And it was just great to have had such support of someone that was much younger than them, but that had that passion to, to be in the industry. And I really wanted to work on an Olympics one day. That was my yeah. goal. Mm-hmm. And so when that opportunity came um, to me, I was working in New Zealand at the time and uh, it was through a mentor and through someone I'd worked with in the past, they let me know that applications were open for certain roles for the Winter Olympics and they were in Vancouver. And I thought, I'm not interested yet. I mean, in 10 years' time I might be, but at the moment I'm really happy. I'm in my dream job. I'm working yeah. at one of the greatest sporting stadiums in New Zealand. And they said, well, just, just put your hat in the ring, just apply. And so I applied and I, I think I, I was offered for this role, offered my job over my interview. And so it meant leaving to Canada um, within the month and wow. actually working on my first Olympics at the age of 20, 19, 20. I think I just moved over as I turned 20. And so I couldn't believe it because that was my lifetime goal. And I felt like I was just making stepping stones to to get there. And then that's really where my career kicked off in that world. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when you look back at it, knowing that that had been up to that point, your lifetime goal, and then you achieved it really early on, what did that feel like? Was there any sense of like, what do I do next? Or was it just, you know, pure joy about the accomplishment achieved? I tried to, I think if I think back, um, balance that because even for our family, that was really exciting that, so, you know, that um, an Australian um, at that age is going overseas to work in, in a dream role. You know, a lot of my friends and family couldn't believe it. They were so excited for me. I think when I went over there, um, I luckily had a little bit of experience um, living on my own at that point in New Zealand. So it was like a, a step, baby step to then moving completely different time zones and, and not really knowing anyone and, and being so young, working in a full-time role Um, and I think at the time I was the youngest full-time employee working on the Olympics so the career team of the Olympics were very supportive of my integration and I was thrilled but I remember thinking well what's next after I finish in Vancouver what's the next Olympics so then you sort of start to plan your life of every two years of what city or country you're likely to be moving to and so I was driven by that to to have that next role and just to do a really Mm -hmm. good in my role 
Yeah. And so where did it take you? Obviously, that's the Vancouver was the first step and this represented, you know, quite a big um, move internationally. New Zealand was, of course, overseas experience, but it's somehow, you know, close to home, despite being an amazing, amazing market to work in, whereas Vancouver just seems like the other side of the world. So what was the feeling of, you know, not only working on such a prized project, but also, um, I guess, flying the coop, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, it was it was incredible. I just had the most incredible experience. I was inspired by the Olympic spirit, by my um, my colleagues. So being so young, um, and my colleagues, bosses, you know, whoever it was that I was reporting to, I looked up to them. I just wanted to learn. I would do any role. I would put my hand up for anything and everything. There was an opportunity to go up and work um, in Whistler on the Paralympics and the closing ceremony, and it's not something that was inside our contract originally. I was like, I'll stay the extra two weeks. Yes, yes. I was a yes person. And I just wanted to take advantage of every opportunity I could to learn off others. And, And these people that I looked up to back then now I still look up to, but they're my friends as well. And, you know, we're, we're now on the same level when we're, um, you know, applying for our roles and, and what have you. And it's just been amazing because I've looked up to them so much along, along the way, but my journey has really matured. And so mm-hmm. I was in sort of assistant venue roles um, very early on. And then I was interviewing for sort of some higher level roles. And so after Vancouver, I was very set that I wanted to move to London. So yep. I didn't have a job at the time that I got on a plane. I moved from Vancouver to London and I waited for a job to come up. What was and it I applied, why, why had you chosen London as your destination? Uh, because they had the next Olympics. Right. And okay. so for me, it was an easy decision of, okay, Vancouver Winter Olympics just finished in 2010, summer games, two years out, I'm ready. So I, I went to London and I waited. <laughs> and I was actually very fortunate. I, I had interviews um, almost as soon as I, I landed. However, the roles that I was interviewing for um, were, were senior roles. And I did not have the experience um, for those roles at that time. But I got some really great advice. So I went away from those interviews being told that, you know, I'm the the right fit for the team, but my experience is not quite at that level. I didn't have management experience yet. I didn't have negotiation experience. And I I hadn't really matured at that particular point. I didn't have that that characteristic um, sort of embedded. That takes time. And so um, I thought, okay, well, they're not quite ready to have me. What can I do in the meantime? So I went away and got other experience. They mentioned negotiation skills, you know, sales skills can really help or or something else. So I actually got a job with the Financial Times and I worked mm-hmm. on a really great project within their um, Europe, Middle East and African um, sort of sales team. It was a sales in terms of transitioning uh, end users from newspaper to digital. So everyone that was buying the Financial Times and all the um, individuals and companies, transitioning them onto the iPad, tablet, phone devices for what is a subscription platform. And it was very new. And the Financial Times really were at the time leading a benchmark in terms of what that looked like for newspapers. And so I was involved in that and involved in that transition period for a year. And it was fantastic. Uh, I learned so much. And actually, I didn't want to leave the Financial Times. I loved working there. However, uh, my dream job came up at the Olympics 
and I was sort of applying You've had a succession of dream jobs, haven't you, which is such a (laughs) lucky thing. Yeah, I know, I know, that is true. And so uh, I then, um, I got offered this great job with London Olympics. So I left the Financial Times. They told me to come back as soon as the um, Olympics had finished. So I thought I was living in London forever at this point. But I got a great job in London and I worked on the project for about 18 months. And then following that, uh, I moved to Glasgow for the next, um, I guess, instalment, which was hosting the Commonwealth Games in 2014. Fantastic. Amazing. And so as you're going through these roles, it sounds like you were very clear about you'd received some input from other people about the skills, the knowledge, the attributes, you know, that you're an attribute match, but that maybe sometimes there was a skill or a knowledge, you know, area to fill. And so you've purposely gone out and captured that and come back and said, okay, I'm ready now. What was it that helped you do you think move from the, for example, the London experience to the Glasgow experience? What was the the shift in skills that you saw between those roles? I think you you really learn how to adapt in your role because things change so, so much. Like you plan and you plan and you plan. But then when you come to delivering an event, whether it's an event you've been working on for three years or a month, things change. So you can have as many documents written up as you like but when it comes to it, you've got to deliver and mm-hmm. that flexibility and, and the ability to not overreact when things change as well, but just understand um, the task at hand and then the ability to divert or to, to lead a team in that environment as well. And I was leading a team of volunteers of up to 300 people um, every event. And so professionally, you really need to help control and, that, and lead that situation. So those were skills that I learned on, on the job. But I learned how to be a leader and I learned how to be a mentor also to others. And so that really helped, um, I guess, weave my journey to Glasgow. And I was working in an area that's referred to in the games world as uh, spectator services. And Mm -hmm. so you do a lot of planning for a lot of the spectator elements on a venue or outside of a venue. But you're also leading a large team that uh, essentially leading volunteers that will help deliver that customer service um, on an event day as well. So I think I I really loved my role and I loved being able to help train volunteers. I loved that connection um, with the venues and working with other functional areas so that when the opportunity came to um, work on Glasgow, I think I might have had a week rest and I was on to the next project. So you just finished delivering and then you go back almost two years again to what a planning phase is very very early days and then um, it sort of slows down again as you work on your your leading. And so what does that feel like in terms of you know that there's an arc to these projects in terms of as you said that planning phase and getting to I'm I'm sure that there's a a pinnacle and then some kind of celebrations and then you the team sort of disbands I suppose and then you reform a new team again. So can you tell us like your experience of that arc? Like what are the high points? What are the maybe less high points around going through that cycle for each each new project, each new each new event? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a really good question because going into this realm of work, although it is one of the best jobs in, in the world and extremely um, exciting, a, a lot of my friends, um, they say, you know, I wish I, wish I had your career. It's incredible, both in terms of travel and the projects and the collaborative projects mm-hmm. that you get the opportunity to um, form and, and sort of be part of that evolution. I think for, for me, um, 
And I'm, I'm very fortunate in the situation that I was able to um, interview in advance of completing my current project. Mm-hmm. So roles started to come up, whether it's in the same city or overseas. So in this particular case, roles for Glasgow were coming up. And because um, we're all working on the Olympics, there is that natural pathway um, to sort of follow. And so the roles that I were looking for were being advertised and I interviewed um, and usually when you work on a project, because there's an end date, they do usually help support that transition. So we'll allow you a few hours to go and have an interview um, so that you're not left at the end, you know, thinking, oh, gosh, what's next? With the gap. Mm-hmm. So um, I took up the opportunity to, to have those interviews and I was lucky to be informed before I completed my project that I had a role next. And mm-hmm. so for me, that allowed me to really enjoy um, that final process and that pinnacle of working in an event because you have some certainty that you'll be able to put a roof over your head again and that you can yeah. have your next few years sorted. It's not yeah. always that easy. And and for a lot of people, it's it's just not. So you'll finish the project and potentially you can be out of work for three months, six months, a year. And given what's been this year, maybe even longer. And so for us in this event world, often that peace of mind and certainty really helps with that arc mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to really enjoy the delivery is knowing what is next. Yeah, that's so interesting because I... You're right. Like I I assume that it's so exciting and these projects are so high profile, but then as you're saying on the personal side, there's not a lot of job security because it is, you know, I'm sure there's events that are ongoing year on year, but for these high profile events, they're very, you know, one-offs by the sound of it. So how do you see other people in the industry kind of manage that? Um, from From a mental perspective, what is the approach to just making sure that the ambiguity is kind of manageable (laughs) as you said like making sure you've got the next project I guess is the ideal state but anything else that people do to just live with live with that sense of less stability yeah it's interesting because you you're often leaving out of of a suitcase and you're relocating Mm -hmm. can be every two years some people it's every three or four some people it's annually and it's different cities it's different visa requirements it's different cultures to embrace And so it really does depend, which is often why having that, um, I guess, understanding of what is upcoming in the next, Mm. usually you look at it from a seven-year view because that's often when a city or a host city will win a bid and then through that delivery um, seven years later. And so us as project managers, we're often, oh, would we go to LA next? Or what do you think about Paris? You your eye on the horizon. We have chats, we talk about food. And it excites us. And I think what is really important is that although for a lot of us are, I guess, competing sometimes for similar roles in in our expertise, although we're, um, you know, sought after in terms of particular roles and and, um, certain games that we want to work on, we are a close um, network and family. I have met some of the most incredible people along this journey. And so we do support each other with that transition and will encourage others as well. For a lot of people as well, it can sometimes be um, visa challenges in terms of, you know, can we work in um, Dubai or can we work in Qatar? So some people um, might be also thinking about their family or that one's a little bit too far away from my family, so I may skip that one and come back to the next. So there are a few things that, depending on everyone's personal circumstance, um, that pathway does change. 
even myself, that sort of hit home a little bit um, after I'd finished working on the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. I'd been away from home for a good part of my 20s now and yeah. I'd had an incredible career. But I did start to think about that in terms of mm. what does my life look like forever? <laughs> am, yeah. am I doing this for the next 20 years? Will I meet someone? Will I have a family? It just was at the back of my mind because I had been so career focused and I really wanted to dedicate everything to my role. I even started to think about alternative pathways. So I'd been working in the industry for sort of over six years at this point and I investigated um, studying again. So I thought I've had these great experiences but maybe it is the right time to challenge my mind in a different way and I had considered uh, doing a master's degree. So I I did. So I did that while I was in uh, London. I um, studied with an Australian university, but I had my exams overseas and I I sort of put myself through my master's degree. It was something from my finishing school that was always in the back of my head of something I would like to complete. And so I thought about progression and and my future. So I I decided to do some postgraduate study and get a Mm. master's degree alongside my something your mentors had mentioned to you as well that 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 was a you know a a legitimate pathway to go and get that experience and circle back so what did you find like being a quote-unquote mature student even though it's a a master's level program um the habits and the discipline of studying how what did you find in terms of getting back into that routine it was interesting and particularly working full-time um also at this point I was one of the first students on sort of a remote learning um course I mean now it's so common but in terms of doing a master's degree remotely and sitting in exams in Edinburgh Castle sort of thing it was it was very (laughs) unique um I I found the uh, I guess you you learn to balance as much as you can so in terms of your course material Um, very similar to any of our work in terms of project planning we understand what you know you're trying to achieve every quarter similar with trimesters with university I knew what papers I needed to complete I planned out my couple of years what my goal was in terms of finishing and I guess what I could give uh, in terms of hours of study and so um, it is challenging trying to do postgraduate study that was also full-time as well as uh, working full-time but I think with anything and, and with everything, when you are committed and you have that end goal, you just get it done. Yeah. And so I just made sure I, I fit it in. If there were social activities that I had to politely decline because I needed to get a paper in, then that's what I did. Yeah. And you learn more about that discipline and also you collaborate in terms of writing skills. So although you learn writing skills along the way with emails and, and sort of along um, any road or, or path that you take in your career. Uh, what I learned from that postgraduate study as a mature student was really how to write again in terms mm-hmm. of writing well and structuring um, papers and and referencing and just how to how to really put those pieces together, which in tenfold really helped me when I was writing or consulting on events or helping with bid plans because that written skill set is really important. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad that I did go back and do some post grad. Yeah, that's interesting to hear you reflect on that because it's um, I think sometimes we 
we undervalue, particularly at this point in time, the formal education system. When we say, okay, if, if universities are just skill, just, just knowledge houses and we can get knowledge anywhere now, <laughs> do you have to go and pay for the degree? But uh, as you've just said, there is something about the structure, um, the familiarity of, of how to organise your thoughts in a logic and communicate them to some, someone else, <laughs> how to convey yourself, um, whether that's written or for a lot of degrees, you know, oral as well that is just so essential to being effective in any job. So I don't think we can quite throw universities out the window yet, can we? <laughs> no, and I think it, it really depends on everyone's personal situation. But what I really yeah. valued about my experience um, coming back, having had experience in my industry, was that I could then relate to that directly. So in anything that I was writing on, on business and economics and marketing, I was able to to really transform my own experience. And it gave me more insight to when I approached a new project as, as well. So I'm, I'm a very big advocate for getting experience and then coming back to do that piece. Because yeah. I think it is hard that when you come straight out of school and you go into um, university and you don't necessarily have that practical experience, how do you write? Like, what are you writing about? Yeah. How do you organise yourself? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it depends on, on co- of course, what career direction you're taking. Very different for, for medical, et cetera. But in terms of events specifically, I think that that's really important and it was a really mm-hmm. um, good learning for me. And, and when I speak to other event students and, and help mentor their journeys, I, I definitely sort of discuss, you know, the pros and cons of studying a little bit later as well. Yeah. And the through line that I'm picking up in your career is this idea of being goal-oriented saying yes, as you said, being willing to say yes often, but being really determined to, the, you know, to bring that discipline so that you follow through and that you achieve your goals. So I'm starting to get a sense of, I guess, it's not just by chance that you've achieved all these things and that you've gone through <laughs> and and hit, hit your dream jobs. You know, we made a joke before that you've had several dream jobs, but that must have come from this tenacity that you've brought. So has there been any situation when that saying yes has been to a detriment as opposed to adding to that, you know, um, that determination and that that um, achievement drive that you have? Yeah, that's a really good question, Alex, because I've, I've definitely learned over the couple of years, uh, most recently, to say no. Mm. And it's hard. And so where that's been quite recent is um, I've got in a, he just turned, I've got an 11-month uh, baby. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, uh, I've definitely got a couple of different priorities now because he is my number one. And I think I'm his number one fan. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> you're his as well. Yeah. <laughs> With that does come a bit more of a balance. So particularly on projects. Um, so as much as I often want to say yes, so it might have been a, a good example was a finished up at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. So I'm back home on home soil in Australia and it felt really nice to be back home and to have done full circle delivering, um, you know, games overseas to be able to support an event that will really hopefully bring legacy to your home country uh, as well. And so with that, um I, I fell pregnant and, uh, you know, there were opportunities to go overseas uh, again on the next one. But I, I really wanted to stay home. And I'm not quite sure why, but something was saying, mm. you know, be home and, and enjoy this experience. You've had a mm-hmm. big decade 
um, you know, you know, there will be others. And so I said no to a, um, not one, but a few opportunities um, overseas because I wanted to stay home in Australia and I wanted to uh, just be a mum for a little while and and be home. I mean, I haven't rested completely. I did set up a charity mm-hmm. in my pregnancy yeah. and uh, I've been doing it a little bit on the community front, but just wanted to take a break from the overseas um, projects and, and sporting mm-hmm. career that I've had. And, and I thought that if I did that and took some time to reflect or work in different areas as well, then again, I'll come back working in our industry even stronger with a, you know, more rounded um, experience again. So it's been hard to say no to the projects. They're glamorous, they're exciting, they're in new cities, but I'm very happy and I think I've made the right decision not only for for me but for our family at this time. Yeah. And so what helps you say no? It sounds like when these opportunities present themselves, you're coming back to a base to say, what is it I value at this moment? What's my priority, as you said? Is there anything else that helps you evaluate that so that you can weigh up that yes-no decision? Uh, Usually it's the length of contract. Mm. So often they're not forever roles. You know, it is a project. There is a start date and there's an end date. And although this is often exciting and probably what we most love, about our industry, when you do have other commitments, uh, it is also probably the thing that um, makes it harder because mm. you know that it's only for three years. So then what happens at the end of the three years? Where are we going next? Do we come back? Do we go to the next one? And so you do start to think about that and you think about, oh, how old's our little one? Is he at kinder? Is he at primary school? Is he at high school? And so you just want to try and, and make sure you make the right decision for everybody in your family and consider, considering your, your other half as well in mm. terms of um, your roles. My husband also works in our industry. So together we politely say uh, no <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, and, and it is hard. It's definitely hard. Um, but I think we've set ourselves up now that we feel, feel confident that um, we've made the right decisions and we've been able to use some of our own other creative flair and try something new. Um, and that's been really refreshing too. Yeah. No, and I want to ask you about that something new, absolutely. I just, I've been thinking about this piece that you were saying before around the fact that it's project-based and that people are um, needing to be comfortable with bouncing from place to place. So do you see your industry, this events, this high-profile events industry, as being more of an early careers compatible type work once people have families and particularly if they're, Two couple, if if a you know if a couple aren't both in the industry, if there's potentially someone else in a in another career, I can imagine that would be another friction point. So, do you see many people who are sort of later or mid career with families still on the circuit? They definitely do their best to, and I have a lot of friends that that are are doing that and they're rocking it. Yeah. Um, I think that they are often challenged. So it is a more, like it's a dilemma. It's not an easy decision for any of them. But I, I believe um, they've also got um, a goal. So they might say, okay, I'll do this one and then we're back. Yeah. So it's always that one more. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say no. So it is yeah. possible and and people make it work. When you've got your mind to it, it's great. And some of my friends with kids, you know, their kids speak all different languages and have got that amazing worldly knowledge from such a young age and they're, you know, culturally aware it's, it's amazing. So if you think about all those positives, you know, it's a reason to say yeah. yes. Yeah. But I absolutely. also think um, 
yeah, it, get, it gets harder um, and the hours we work are not nine to five, even in mm. planning phase, um, we do have to adapt. So we do have to consider that and, and the culture as well in terms of, you know, where, where do we want to bring up our family? I definitely think that in terms of early career, absolutely, it's a great idea and opportunity to, if you've got an idea that you want to pursue the events industry and particularly the overseas sport um, journey, then if you can you know, start that career path as early as possible, that's great because it does get a little bit yeah. harder um, later on. Yeah, but, I but it sounds like now, you really set yourself up for, yeah, exactly, future future career. Yeah, you do. But then a lot of people say, well, is it just a temporary career, Nat? Like was it only ever going to be 15 years? Is that it? And then, and then what happens next? And so it's also a good question on, on that side because a lot of my friends now where we're sort of similar ages have, have done this for 10, 15 years and then go, oh, gosh, what happens now? because don't necessarily want to pursue every single one. Do we do this forever? But mm. I think now, particularly if 2020 has given us any insight, the opportunity needs to be able to work remotely. I am so hopeful that this really does um, allow some change in our industry to yeah. be able to have conference calls and and build a team early on save money on on headquarters and offices from those early days and then bring on your team to deliver then you know you the quality of people that you're also going to attract to be able to do that will be really high so yeah, there's potential for some change in our industry mm-hmm. I just I don't know yeah it's a different talent talent pool mm-hmm. that you can you can bring together and so for you you've had this this first chapter and in my mind I wouldn't be one of those people who's saying oh is that the end of that career and then you move on to the next one because of course there's skills and 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 knowledge that pulls through into your next phase and and so for you that was back on the Gold Coast as you said little you know person in your arms and you were thinking I've got a contribution to this community and so you created Fly Into July so do you want to tell us about this? It's a step challenge and I'm really interested to understand like what compelled you to get it started? What are you doing? Where's it gone? Just give us the whole rundown. Yeah, thank you. That Alex. wasn't it's a pun, by the way. Yeah. An amazing uh, journey. Yeah. And I think what initially sort of sparked my journey on this particular path was as an individual, I am an active fundraiser and have been overseas as well. I've always wanted to give back to the communities that I was living in. And so I was often fundraising for different events or running around the world and and sort of um, seeking fundraising to support the personal causes I was fundraising for. But it got to a point where I felt like I'd really exhausted my personal network. You know, what's Nat up to again? Oh, my gosh, she's running in Antarctica. Who's she running for? And all this craziness. And it made me think others um, must be in this sort of realm where they're trying to raise awareness or trying to fundraise, but their family networks, I don't know how many times they get asked to donate and support, you know, every year, it can be exhausting. So I've been thinking while I was pregnant, um, how can I sort of change this? How can I allow people to still, um, fundraise or raise awareness, but without that pressure of exhausting your own personal networks, but still helping others and still keeping fit and active. So Fly Into July is a month-long annual step count challenge. So you basically log your steps for every day uh, in July, okay? And as part of your registration, 
you're donating to Flying July. So we're, we're a charity and we're helping support um, Australians get into um, physical activity, but particularly those that may not be able. So we help mm. um, purchase uh, running frames, for example. And actually, it's looking to be, a, um, they're hoping it'll be on the Paralympic curriculum in the next um, couple of Olympics, which would mm-hmm. be amazing. But alongside us being a charity, uh, we also wanted to help other Australian causes. So with that in mind, when a participant registered, they got to choose not just um, Flying to July as their charity, but another charity of one of our supported charities as to where their donation would like to go. And so they can select their charity and then they can participate in the event. And they don't need to fundraise in addition. Just by participating, just by registering, you're already helping other causes. Mm-hmm. And so um, our goal is to, in the next five years, have over 50,000 participants annually and fundraise, you know, half a million or more a year. And I think we can absolutely do it. We had our first year and with very limited um, marketing, marketing, we had over a 1,000 participants in, in year one and people loved it. And we had a survey result return that um, everyone sort of, I think we had 10% return results. And out of the 102, we had 100 people say that they'll definitely be back next year. One maybe, the other maybe, Actually, sorry, two maybes. One was my mum. I think she clicked the wrong button. But it sort of showed that we were doing the right thing. People felt engaged, connected, and teams got involved from a workplace engagement perspective. So I'm just hoping that we can set a new benchmark for how fundraising events uh, operate. And it's in a virtual capacity so you can participate from anywhere in the world as well. Yeah, that's incredible. And you just got it up and running. Um, at the same time as having a, a new little person. So it's really a credit to you. What did you see from your previous events management world coming into this role? Were there uh, attributes that you saw transfer across or was it just a completely new world? But what did you find in terms of? No, so many. Like I, I feel like the reason it is uh, succeeding is because of the event management skills that are mm-hmm. brought to it. In terms of, you know, new partnerships and those relationships that you have with people or or writing. Um, so in terms of establishing a charity, you're writing constitutions, you're looking over legal frameworks and understanding all the auditing processes. And I think from, from that side, that was a new learning. So establishing a not-for-profit, um, that's a huge piece. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning in terms of fundraising grants and the opportunities for, for those and how to write grants. So they're elements that are different. You learn about bid proposals for Olympics and Commonwealth Games, but fundraising grants when, you know, you're reporting, sorry, you're um, asking government for support, a little bit different, but similar skills. Mm -hmm. And I'm also finding that in terms of um, putting together an event, very similar sort of project timeline, even though our event is virtual, uh, we don't have, you know, operations compound or anything like that. It's exactly the same activities in terms of we've got a start date, we've got an end date, we have a marketing plan, we've got people we're connecting with, there's customer service, absolutely, and so there's merchandise, you know, all the elements that you have um, to put together an event are all there. It's just that it is a virtual event and I can Mm -hmm. operate the event also from my home. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. It seemed to be both your contribution. As you said, there was a clear contribution you wanted to make to society. It's got a, a passion for you, obviously, as a runner and as a, you know, a mover generally, but also, uh, you know, as you're mentioning, it just brings in so many of those elements of what you know you can contribute, you know, the skill set that you bring to the table. But I can imagine there's been hard parts too. So what, what's been tough in this phase? Yeah, I think a little bit of unknown sometimes in terms of you go, oh, gosh, you know, like you, you, you kind of question, you know, will it succeed, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of your personal endeavours? And then you go, yeah, of course it's going to. Like, of course, we've got it. everyone telling us it is and, and everyone um, enjoyed it. It's an annual event. So mm-hmm. we, it's hard because we have only one month a year to make it successful. And so there's all that planning that gets done in between. So our numbers next year we're thinking will likely be about 10,000 participants. So it's going to increase and increase and then hopefully in five years' time we'll get there. But you do think, yeah. is that achievable? And so that's, that is sometimes hard to interpret and also to understand, you know, what you can do on your own or with little support. Mm. But I think it's definitely something that sparked um, in terms of a personal ambition. When you put everything and, and your mind into something, you really can achieve anything. Yeah. And as long as you're organised and you've, you know, surround yourself with, with great people and you've got good connections to support you along the way, then, you know, you, you will succeed. It is a little bit strange, though, um, not working on an event and it, it does feel a little bit weird in terms of... Mm. Um, having a little bit of a break from, you know, what has been my life for, for the last little while. So that is a bit scary and that's a little bit hard and you see events operate and you feel like you're missing out. And then I think with the challenges of um, 2020 and the, the COVID-19, it does, it, I sort of felt mixed feelings initially. I was like, oh, maybe it's great that I wasn't working on an event this year. And then I think, oh, but what an opportunity Imagine yeah. all their planning and how they're adapting yeah. and, and that really excited me because I wanted to be in the room and I wanted to yeah. help guide some of that journey. But then I put it into um, our, you know, new endeavour and I think, well, it's a great opportunity for our event to really take some form now and help connect people, help charities that ha- weren't able to fundraise this year for us to be the man- main campaign to help their ambitions. It's something that we volunteer yeah. on. So it's a, a really great opportunity to to give back um, in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you have a chat with your, your immediate family and you think, well, what do you want from life? You know, I've had a brilliant career overseas so far. I'm back. I'm helping our community. Is there anything else, you know, we, we, we want? You know, we're, we're okay. We're in a home where, you know, we feel great and we love living on the Gold yeah. Coast. Don't yeah. necessarily think I'm motivated by chasing the big roles anymore yeah. at the moment. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. There's phases, isn't there? This is not to say this is for your forever, but at this moment in time, it sounds like you have this huge amount of gratefulness and maybe that little bit of FOMO sneaks in every now and then, but the gratefulness and the purpose recognition of the things that you have achieved sounds like it's a really satisfying and kind of sustaining, you know, essence for you. So it's good yeah. to hear where you've landed. <laughs> and, of course, you know, this This has led, I mean, Fly Into July continues. As you said, it will be a, a, an ongoing annual event and, and working with other charities as well as the public. But it's also led you on to a new role too. I'm sure there's been a connection point there somehow. So tell us what your, what your next adventure is. 
Yes, so I only started last uh, last week and it's yeah. uh, incredible. And this opportunity came through actually one of our, our partners for the, the charity challenge and they were really impressed by the work that we conducted and the work that I'd led um, on our, our first year as a project. And they were looking for a new um, chief executive to lead their new operations and their new program. And it's right um, in align with what our charity ambitions were as well. And so essentially it's a new um, kids platform that will be offered free to all primary age school kids in Australia. And it's an engagement tool for them uh, that will help log their daily activity and sort of motivate them to be a bit more active um, every day. And so there's a creative platform that's being developed at the present. It's currently going through a naming process. So I, I can't quite give us the name yet because I don't really know. Um, but we're going through that process and establishing it as a not-for-profit organisation in Australia and I'm, I'm leading the charge. So it's That's really exciting and, I, you know, I wouldn't have got this role probably without my not-for-profit experience that I got, you know, with Fly Into July. But all the skill sets that I've learnt over the, over the years with the events and my master's degree now has really helped me um, be ready for the role that I'm, I'm about yeah. to yeah, go in. So it's, yeah, it's been an amazing journey so far. Yeah. And it, and I think you summarised that so nicely in terms of all of these experiences. You were so determined in each of the phases that you had, each of the projects and each of the learnings experiences that you wanted to take on to achieve it and do it well. But actually, now that you step back, you can see how it's culminated <laughs> to this moment. Oh, and of course, there will be further culminations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And although I haven't reported directly um, myself to a board yet, um, which is, you know, a new experience for me in, in my in my new role, but from my past experiences working on the games, you know, you understand um, depending on whether you're working on a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics in terms of the partnerships or some of the political elements behind it with the government and particularly if there's elections in between and what that impact had with um, with us as a team and also reporting to our board, although I wasn't involved in those conversations, you felt the impacts um, from a few levels down. And so it's interesting now to sort of take those experiences and understand them in terms of my new role and then also understanding the impacts that come back too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and uh, it's nice to be able to to work in Australia in this new role. Yeah, wonderful. I'm so excited for you. It's just um, from when we previously spoke to now, obviously this is new you, new news, so it's always great to hear up to yeah. the minute. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. why don't we finish by um, asking some of these rapid-fire questions because I'd love to you know, get some of your quick, quick thoughts and quick answers on these points. Sure. So, so first one is, the world right now is? Oh, the world right now is... It's challenging times for for everyone, but I think if anything, we're going to learn how how grounded um, we've probably become, and to have that silver lining of of new perspective in terms of what matters to to us as a world, but also to us as individuals and with our families. Absolutely, thank you. My Chinese heritage has given me oh great recipes. Great recipes. <laughs> Great recipes. Um, and and values, family values, most yeah. importantly. Yeah, we've learned um, in terms of just yes, being being there for each other and supporting each other, no matter you know what decisions we make, etc. But the the Chinese um, heritage and family values have been really important. 
Yeah, and that gives me a new sense and a new view of how you made your decision to stay in um, in uh, the Gold Coast as well. As you said, that was you know there were some hard, hard, impressive jobs that you turned back, and you did that for family, and so it gives us a new sense of where your your North Pole is. <laughs> a skill I'm working on right now is. Oh, I'm working on my writing skills again. So okay. I'm uh, sort of going back in terms of what I've learned from my master's degree, but I'm in the middle of the, like quite um, big grant writing and, and proposals. So I've been working through in terms of some of those skills at the moment. Yeah. And enjoying it, learning. Fantastic. As, as we said, a lifelong journey, a great skill to have. I want my kid to know that. Their mum is faster than their dad. Yeah, in running or thinking or which way? <laughs> oh, I meant running. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> than me. No, uh, in running because he, he used to be a sprinter, but I, I want them to know that I am faster than him. <laughs> that sounds like a lifelong family um, kind of uh, pursuit to keep proving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. My biggest advantage is? My biggest advantage is that I have um, experienced uh, a lot now. And so uh, when I go into whether it's formal interviews or or just sort of day-to-day, I think about how lucky I have been to have had those experiences and how grateful I am. And and for me, that's probably why where I am today is that I've been able to give everything to to those experiences. And, um, Yeah. yeah, thanks, Alex. Oh, fantastic. No, there's there's no shortcuts for getting the experience. So I completely agree. And then finally, my gift to the next guest is? I think in terms of um, the advice that I was given as well, my my gift would be to to have fun and, and just really speak from, from the heart. I think it's been an awesome interview, Alex. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And, and if you can speak um, from the heart as well with your experience, you'll have fun. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Great to speak with you. Thanks, Alex. I'll speak to you soon. The real work wouldn't be possible without the contributions of our whole team here at Lantern Rouge. Production support is managed by Mark Hayes, and our beautiful music is brought to you by Artlist. That's it for now. See you at work.